Kid Hill back again, and uh, this week I'm happy to welcome back yet another guest of mine, Jeff Kakbarinski, a great filmmaker, screenwriter, friend of mine. The last time Jeff and I were on a podcast together was back, I was I was actually co-hosting Trash Cinema with Michael Cook, and Michael was out, mm-hmm. and he gave me uh, he gave me the captain seat. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, and I had Jeff around to talk about. Uh, a favourite film, mutual favourite film of ours, which was Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. I'm very happy to welcome back, give him a hand, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Kakmarinski. Welcome to Cinema Union. Thanks for having me. That's a great movie, by the way, that we talked about, too. That is. Space Hunter. Still an awesome movie. <laughs> now, but uh, we talked a lot about Space Hunter, but we didn't talk much about, about you, Jeff. You're a very talented man. I was wondering if you would tell our listeners here on Cinema Union a little bit before we get to uh, your feature essence. Uh, tell tell the audience a little bit about your cinematic uh, journey, your inspirations, how you began, how you continue. Oh, uh, well, you know, it, it might sound um, cliche, but you know, I used to make Super Eight films back in the early '80s. Um, you know, I, I would use like action figures and model kits and come up with these crazy ideas you know, before I started working with real actors. <laughs> but um, I would do like Terminator and Alien and all these cool things with model kits that I had. And then that evolved into working with actual people, um, right. probably around high school and stuff. And then it just grew from there. I just kept writing and making small movies and making connections along the way. Some good, some bad, you know how that goes. Mm. And um it got to the point where I just sat down ooh, probably about 10 years ago, said, I'm going to start screenwriting seriously mm. and start entering competitions. And um, it mm. fared very well for me. Um, I won several awards and, and made some impressive connections and things like that. And then after writing for a while, I said, well, hey, let's get back into filmmaking since it's so affordable mm. these days with yes. digital cameras and stuff. And um it just kind of went from there. I started making short films. Um, producers liked what I was making. They got picked up by different anthologies or different companies. And hmm. it all led to uh, trying my actual second feature, but really the first real feature, if that makes sense. <laughs> and what were your cinematic cinematic aspira- uh, insp- not aspira- inspirations? Oh, uh, what, was the, what, was the, what were the films that really, I don't know, got the fire going i'm not saying which which is the film that bit you and gave you the the bug but i mean there must <laughs> there must have been films well, to go, yeah that's it that's what i want to do yeah um alien for sure the original alien mm-hmm. um yeah i grew up as a star wars kid star wars was my first live action adult movie mm-hmm. that i saw in theaters with my parents but then two years later um they apparently felt i was mature enough to see alien in the theater (laughs) and I was in first grade and that just blew my mind even then when I was a kid. And from that point on, it was like, I want to do this. I want to somehow create monsters and, and horror movies and terror and ick and goo and, you Mm. know, um, things like that. So alien was the Kickstarter. And then, you know, there's so many other inspirations from Cronenberg to Lynch, David Lynch and, 
John Carpenter, you know, it just grew from there. But Alien kicked it off, though, definitely from. What's me. your favorite? What's your favorite David Lynch movie? Um, I'm gonna go with something that's probably people would mostly say, and I'm gonna say Eraserhead, just mm-hmm. because the the weirdness. Yeah. The, the, it, it's either Eraserhead or Elephant Man, to be honest with you, because I just recently rewatched Elephant Man, and it just hit really hard. I hadn't seen it I, in years, and I know I can't I can't watch it. That's the one, that I, you know, because I just I just crack up. It's too too bloody sad for me. Um, especially the ending. It always gets me just to think about it. Makes me upset. yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, Lynch is he's got some powerful stuff. Look, I, I still maintain that. They talk about that. They're, they're talking about now the films of the 21st century. We left the 20th century behind. They're talking mm-hmm. what are the monuments now of the, the 21st century that they're going to be talking about in, you know, 100 years. And Lynch is definitely, de- Lynch definitely made one with Mulholland Drive. Um, oh, God. Which was, which was yeah. early, real early. Oh, there was 2001, I think. Um, mm-hmm. That was. Um, that's that's staggering, and I know that wasn't meant to be a film. It originally started off as uh, the concept TV series. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, he's he's really when when Lynch is good, he's really good. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying like I mean, I, one of my favorite films of his is one that no one really talks about, and that's The Straight Story. I think that's such that's a, a fantastic movie. Yeah, I think that's such a great, quiet, simple. But what's not to like? I mean, uh, oh yeah, I I did a David Lynch marathon uh, over the summer, and uh, I revisited Straight Story for the first time since I saw it in the theaters yeah. when it came out. Yeah, it's 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 good stuff. Yeah. It's just I can't wrap my mind around the fact that it's a Disney movie when you really think about it. He just really came through as a different kind of director, but it still has that quality, it has that weirdness, but it's very approachable and very powerful movie. Yeah, people people don't talk enough about how how integral Angelo Bellamante's music is to David Lynch's yeah. cinema. Yeah, it's sad that we lost him. Uh, yes, Angelo. I mean, uh, even yeah. in the films that that aren't David Lynch's that his scores are in, like I rewatched Drive again uh, mm-hmm. recently, and and his score really adds. Some, I mean, that, that movie's pretty Spartan at the best of times. But uh, that score adds like this, this little dust, little dusting, you know, almost like a little dust yeah. of uh, powdered sugar to the top of it, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really kind of it's hip. Like his stuff is hypnotic. I mean, it works better with Lynch because his visuals are hypnotic, anyway. But they really, yeah. they really do dance well as a team, you know, like Morricone and uh, and Leone. Um, yep. Really, it's it's really hypnotic stuff, and and Lynch is yeah, Lynch is someone that I don't think it's enough uh, enough talk when they talk about really good uh, directors because he's one of the few surviving that really still has a a style. Like you can you can watch a David Lynch movie with no sound and go that well that's a David Lynch movie. You would know it's him. Yep. Um, there's so few filmmakers coming up. I don't know how you feel about it. I think there's so few filmmakers coming up that have a identity like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like directors are just for hire for productions now. 
Mm. I mean, you look at like, and I'm not here to criticize comic book movies mm. or Marvel. I mean, I enjoy them as the next person does, but it mm. just seems like if they hire a director that's outside of that genre, they're really not allowed a lot of creative freedom, you know, yeah. to have that, that, that vision that they would normally have outside of it. Um, mm. I think that's why um, uh, the director of Shaun of the Dead, I'm really bad with names today. Um, he stepped out of Ant-Man because they weren't giving him the creative vision that he wanted. Yeah. And so he was just like, well, okay, see ya. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of sad that there's really not any directors right now that have that style that you can recognize right away. Mm. You know, David Lynch, Cronenberg, um, you know, it's, it's really missing something these days. Mm. I think that I think that a certain portion of the audience don't really understand that when you go to work for the company, you become a company man, and yep. they want a company product. They don't want your voice; they want their voice with your name on. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Because unfortunately, for these big name directors, uh, well, certainly the ones that made their bones when we were both younger. Um, their names are kind of like an extra selling tool, mm -hmm. if you will, on the film. Like it's kind of like when Steven Spielberg used to produce a lot of movies produced by Steven Spielberg, you know, right? Um, or back when Brockheimer was at his peak and the movies used to be sold from Jerry Brockheimer, you know, yep. <laughs> and the the producers and the directors sell the film and then it was the stars. Now it's the IP. It's, it's a remake of the classic reboot of the reimagining of your yeah. classic that was animated now live action. Um, <laughs> we won't name any production studios. It's become the snake that eats itself. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I think so. You know? um, that's why, you know, people laugh and, you know, us older people, I guess, say the 80s was where it's at. And it was. The 80s was just, you know, a springboard for so much creativity and unique visions and movies that, you know, probably wouldn't get made today unless it's a reboot or a remake or a reimagining. You know, now I hear they want to redo Crawl. It's like, okay, you know, I, I know Crawl Bond when it came out, but it was instantly a favorite of mine yeah. when I saw it opening weekend, and I just can't imagine it being remade now. It'll be all CGI. And, well, I spoke you know. to, I don't know if you listened to the, the show, but I spoke to mm -hmm. Mark Silverman, who's the son of Ron, uh, and we we discussed it a little bit, and I said, look, even if, even if they do do it, they'd be really stupid not to use that music, James Horner. Oh, yeah. If they're going to... I, look, I hope they don't try and do some sort of stupid shot-for-shot shot thing, but they'd be really stupid to, to not use that music because at least the fan base, and they probably know by now there's a massive cult fan base for this movie. Yeah. Um, or they've sniffed it out, or someone sniffed it out, or someone's pointed it out and said, hey, guess what? We found a gold mine. We found a gold mine. <laughs> we found a cult gold mine that we can mine. And... Um, and the, someone's pointed it out, and I just hope they're not stupid enough if they do it to leave out James Horner's music because that's that's such a part of why this movie is enduring. Um, yes. And as Mark said, how he never got nominated for 
for nothing <laughs> for that score was pretty, pretty ridiculous because everyone yeah. hears it. Even people who don't really like that movie say, damn, that's a good score. It's a good score, yeah. James Horner. Yeah, that that music is pretty iconic. Yeah, that, it's movie. right up yeah. there. With, it's right up there with some of the great themes. Mm-hmm. It, when you hear themes from a film, you hear Indiana Jones, you hear Jaws, you hear Star Wars, Superman. You they're mostly John Williams, uh, right? <laughs> hear, when you hear themes, you hear John Williams, but when you don't hear John Williams, you hear James Horner. Um, James Horner, yeah, yeah. Or as I he, was, he was, you hear. Hans Zimmer or something, who's the new top dog, isn't he? Yeah. But the modern music score is really missing. Modern music scores to me in big budget movies is really missing like themes. Like, you know, James Horner had a you know theme for every movie, Jerry Goldsmith, hmm. John Williams. You know, I just, it, I, I was talking to another filmmaker just not to criticize Hans Zimmer's music. There's a lot of good <laughs> stuff, but sometimes it just seems like it's all percussion. It's just do you know, and and just kind of rambling stuff. There's the, 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 the grandiose theme main title of a movie just seems to be kind of missing these days, in my opinion, you know, now that we've lost like James Horner and Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams is retiring, you know, it's modern music just seems to be losing something in my opinion. I thought about this the other day. I thought about the last time. I can't remember the last time after. Usually if I really like the score of a movie after I saw it, I'd, I'd go straight up to the the CD shop and get the mm-hmm. the score, whether it was on right. record or God, on L, whether it was on LP or, or CD. Um, mm-hmm. This is dark age stuff, listeners. Uh, but... Uh, but even even wanting to get the score digitally now, which you can as well, um, I can't remember the last time I went to a movie and go, geez, I like the score for that. And, right. Exactly. And you know. Exactly. I mean They haven't they haven't Zimmer came close with Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but it, it it was no Vangelis. You know, it was missing all those themes and those eccentric things that Vangelis did and Vangelis Vangelis did uh in the original Blade Runner and, and I was really kind of saddened at that because it just it didn't feel right. You know, I mean what he did was cool. He got an old Yamaha CS eighty, the same keyboard that was used in the original score, but it didn't have any cohesion to it, a, a, a thematic familiarity. And I was really disappointed. The movie visually looked good, but I was really disappointed in the score. Mm. You know, I was just wanting mm. wanting that feeling of Blade Runner because that's one of my favorite movies too. So yeah. Um, how did you, yeah, you feel about the new Dune? Um as an adaptation to the book and visually it was great, but my heart belongs to David Lynch's mm. version. It's just such an odd movie that would never get made these days. <laughs> I mean, um, the, the the new version is is really well done, mind you. I, I did like it. I did love it. I saw it in IMAX, but my heart will always be with David Lynch's version, even if he disowns it. I mean, there's just so much stuff that he did that the studios wouldn't do these days. Um, and the cast and is pretty I, staggering, too. If you look at the if you yeah. look at list of names now and go... Wow, Patrick Stewart, Max von Sydow, Freddie Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what's his Richard name? Richard Jordan. Richard Jordan. 
Uh, Kyle McLaughlin. Dorf. Um, the voice of Chucky. What's his name? Um, oh, Brad Dorf. Yeah. Brad Dorf. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was a crazy cast. Uh, what's his name? Jurgen Prochnow. Um, yep. Yep. Jeez. The list goes on and on and on. Like, you think about uh-huh. that. If you said there was a movie coming out, you know, tomorrow with that cast, I mean, not not now, but back then, like, even if it wasn't June, you'd sort of go, wow, that's a list. Yeah. Sting. Sting? Yeah, I mean, what the hell? Sting, you know. Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate what happened with the studio tinkering with it and hmm. not letting him have his way. But a lot of people criticize and think it's weird that he used um, uh, thoughts. You know, you can hear what the characters are thinking. And I thought that was great because some of those lines were right out of the book. Hmm. You know, some of the thoughts that people were thinking – we're like, man, this to me that added depth to the movie. You don't usually see that, no. you know, and it, it might have thrown some people off as it does today. But yeah. I applauded it. I thought it was great. I do. I still do. I, I still think it's great. I still, um, I still wish that that when I was watching the new one, I kind of there were moments where those certain exchanges mirrored the exchanges, of course, because it's the same material. But you right. were kind of waiting for the moment where you heard what they were thinking. Like when you're yeah, yeah, she's one because then you know, you know, like her mouth isn't moving, but you know, I I could talk about Dune all day long because I I was comparing like when they fold space that Hmm. scene with the um, the the navigator guild and everything, and and the way Lynch did it was just so hypnotic and so bizarre, it fit the theme and the feel of the book, and it was barely touched on in the new version. It was just like, oh, here, you know, we went from Caledon, now we're on Dune. And it was like, come on, that what Lynch did with, uh, you know, the floating thing that looked like a sperm, you know, it's kind of kind of silly when you look at it now, but it was just, you know, it, it just blew my mind that yeah. it was just something so surreal and, and different for a studio movie back mm. then that, it's, it, to me, it was just missing that mysteriousness that Dune is. And even when I reread the books, I, mm. I, I think of it as a David Lynch thing because there's just so much mystery and in, in, to it and psych, psychedelic a little bit because it is the 60s. You know, it was written in the 60s and Lynch mm. did a good job of portraying religion and drugs and all that. And it, it, I just expected more from the, the new version. It just seemed like a studio movie, mm. you know, and I'm probably going to get my head cut off for that. But, you know, I, 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 I'm very partial to David Lynch's version. I wish he would he's talked musings about, you know, revisiting it. I know he never will, but man, I wish he would. And I wish he would assemble his what five hour cut. Yeah. You know, his cut, not, not yeah, the TV be, version cut. But. It, 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 <laughs> it'd be great. It'd be great to, to let bygones be bygones and, and, and re-release like a, a final cut of it. Like they did with Blade Runner and yes. And get Lynch in a room before he dies and just have him. Yeah. And even if he gets there for, even if he sits there for four and a half hours or however long he goes for and just bitches about all the shit that went wrong, <laughs> I'd listen to it. I'd listen to it. Oh, I would. I, I really was hoping that when Arrow put together their their Blu-ray that, you know, somehow they coax him into doing a commentary or an interview. And alas, you know, it, it didn't happen. I didn't think it would. But hmm. that would have been so cool, you know. Yeah. Um, like you said, put him in a room, just have him bitch about it but man the stories i'm sure he could tell oh yeah. you know 
But, but without with, without that well. failure, though, we wouldn't have had Blue Velvet, and then we wouldn't have had that's true. Um, you know, Michael uh, Holland Drive and Lost mm-hmm. Highway, and and some of those great movies that yeah. came as a result of the failure of Dune. I mean, yeah. thank God he didn't direct Return of the Jedi instead. You know, <laughs> that would have been interesting. That I bet Return of the Jedi. In that case, in that case, though, that. That's kind of like what you were saying earlier about these directors or what we were both saying about these directors going to work for Marvel. In those days, if you went to work for George Lucas, you're essentially working for George Lucas. You're just you're doing right. you're just doing the job that he doesn't really want to do himself. But mm-hmm. he he's standing there and he's he's the final say anyway. So you're not really being hired for your vision. You're just being hired for the fact that you can wrangle actors and and you know how to shoot a movie but you're right you're not being hired to bring something to it um and i think that was probably a big mistake with these more recent star wars films because they were hiring certain filmmakers with vision uh yeah and 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 they pre-sold it like were we getting these guys because of their filmmaking talents um and then in the midst of things, taking it away from them when they don't, you know, tow the company line. You can't have both. You can't right, right. You can't hire someone for their ability that you like and want them to replicate that for you, but then put a shackle on them and say, well, we want you to do what you do, but we want you to do it our way. Our way. Gareth, Which, I, Gareth Edwards, I mean, you know, yeah. did uh, 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 Rogue One and, you know, he gets main writing directing credit but um they mm. bought tony gilroy gilroy in to you know clean up a lot of scenes and stuff in some circles they see him as the final director you know and i'd like to see that original vision because I, I watched a youtube video about it where someone talked about gareth's original vision and how you know a lot of that stuff we saw in the previews yes. didn't make the movie and i would like to see those, those scenes are out there they exist they're finished i wish disney would let him put together his version his cut and just see what the difference is, you know. I really, I really uh, want to see that scene where the Tie Fighter comes right up really close to her. That's yeah, I was like, yeah, the hell is that? That looks awesome. Like she's out on the that's bench so and the Tie so Fighter. Bad. I was like, because oh. I was like, that's awesome. just, we've never seen a Tie Fighter hover before. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Right I thought somebody. they just flew around and that's all they could do. But mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. It's like it was like the. It was reminiscent of the scene in the, what the hell, True Lies, where he's in the house, yes. in the jump jet, and he comes up up the building, and the dude's got a gun. Yep. No, and he's got the Harrier jet. He's got the Harrier, yeah. But no, never got it. In the trailer, it was like the tire in the Twister trailer that wasn't in the film. You know, the tire that comes through the window at the end of the trailer. But it was yep. kind of the... Um, yeah, yeah that, there's that's going to be a bit of a disaster. That if they're doing that sequel to Twister or Twisters, oh, oh my gosh, gosh. It's yeah, too, they're they're doing it. Twisters, it's too late. <laughs> Helen's old. Helen's old. Bill's dead. It's too late. Because it's, it's supposed to be like their son or daughter. We're just supposed oh, to. They're going to imply that they got married at the yeah. end and had children, and they're continuing their parents. They'll you probably, know, it's they'll, just, no, they'll, they'll probably gloss it over like the Indiana Jones. Like they, they had a kid, but they didn't stay together. And, yeah. And, yeah. You know, Bill, Bill oh. often became an alcoholic and 
<laughs> probably yeah they'll, they'll put some depressing thing they got divorced and he was an alcoholic and it's pretty sad what they did to years. pretty sad what they did to poor old bloody indiana jones in the end yeah what a sad you know i mean poor bugger. the one movie that i recently you're know, talking about star wars and stuff the one movie that i thought took chances and it, it paid the price with the fandom for that was um the last jedi Mm. I thought they really took some chances with that. And, you know, mm. we all know the fallout after that. But um, I kind of applauded them for going in a direction that I didn't see coming. Mm. You know, it was very dark. Um, they allowed Ryan to have some style, Ryan to have some style to mm. it in certain things. And um, I was just disappointed that it didn't catch on. I can understand why the fandom didn't like it. Um, mm. But I, I did like the fact that they took a chance with something like that, you know. Sure. sure. No, I, I I didn't hate it either. I thought, well, you've hired a guy who likes to subvert genre. What you what were you expecting? Yeah. What were you and, and everything he did, everything that he did in the movie that people pointed out that was not canon, he hmm. on his Twitter or X account, whatever it is now, he would refer to a book or a comic hmm. or a novel, something that was canon at the time and say, well, no, it's it's in this book or it's in this this yeah. encyclopedia of Star Wars, or it was done in this video game. You know, he had an answer to everything that was done mm. um, to combat the hate. You know, it was just, it was kind of funny the way he was doing it. And um, yeah, I, you know, I, I thought it was a, a bold move that they did. And um, I didn't hate it. I, you know, when, when they hired JJ back to do the last Star Wars movie, it was like, oh, here we go again. We're going to do the comfortable thing. And, mm. you know, um, Kind of ignore everything that was done in the last movie, yeah. which um, when they released the screenplay and the storyboard art for what the third Star Wars movie was supposed to be, I think it would have been much more interesting before they fired the director. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But enough about these movies. They have enough money to advertise. Let's talk about uh, your movie, Essence. This has been, this has been yes. a long time in the making. Uh, you've recently oh. resumed. Uh, are you in post-production? In post-production. Yeah. Post-production. So day, tell day, tell day, people day. about Essence and, and the journey of, of Essence. Well, <laughs> a little bit what it's about. It, it's hard to describe. It's a very surreal David Lynch and Cronenberg, Cronenberg uh, type movie. As you know, I mentioned, those are two of my big inspirations. And basically, it's about a woman who wakes up in a house. Um, she's not really sure how she got there. Um, but there's a room in this house that is all bathed in blue light. And there's this weird box there and um, whatever people come to her and ask for, cause she's kind of built the reputation of being able to do this. The movie jumps forward through time a little bit and uh, whatever they want or ask for, or, you know, something um, from a loved one that passed away or a special message from them or, you know, their, their, dark, their, their, their desires that they want. She goes to this box and this entity produces that in this box. And she's the only one that can go in this room and communicate with this cosmic being that, I guess, you know, communicates between his realm and this box. If anybody goes else, else goes in there, they pretty much die right away. You know, they'll see, see some horrific visions and die <laughs> as the opening of the movie points out that there's a very um 
inpatient woman who wants something um, from her dead husband that she can't find. And she runs into the room herself and has some very crazy hallucinations. Um, but at the same time as she's able to bring joy to people in this apocalyptic setting where nature has destroyed itself, we've destroyed nature, all the drinking water has become a drug, <laughs> kind of like absinthe. Um, society has basically crumbled. Um, she, this being is tearing apart her sanity, basically, because very Lovecraftian. And what she wants is this being to give her one last moment with her son who passed away, and it refuses to do that for her. So it erodes her mind, and then there's a lot of symbolism that you have to read in between the poisoned water and how her son died and you know um is she addicted to this water which is like a drug because she takes so many drugs as it is for her mental stability it, it really goes down a long rabbit hole <laughs> of of surrealism and um it becomes kind of like a cat and mouse game between this cosmic entity and this woman very lovecraftian kind of not in the way of tentacles and creatures but cosmic deities and gods and and things like that and it really I hope it challenges people when they watch it because it's supposed yeah. to stimulate thinking and not only scare you and gross you out in some points, but it's supposed to really make you think <laughs> about some things. Hey, Luke, it's everything, everything a growing boy wants for breakfast, but it's, um, <laughs> it's been, it's obviously, it's been a, a long haul this production. I mean, this is, sounds like a movie you've been putting together slowly over, over how yeah, we, Completed production literally um, like a couple of weeks before the world shut down with COVID. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Our last scene we shot, COVID was around. It hadn't hit our area quite yet, but it was coming this way. And we were like, we need to finish filming now. And right. so we had a really long night. Um, a lot a lot of the movie was shot at night. So, you know, there were a lot of long hours, you know, from like eight o'clock at night till five o'clock in the morning kind of shoot. Cause we needed that darkness in the house. And um, yeah, we finished. And then like a couple weeks later, everything shut down with COVID and um, that delayed my editing because my day job um, was impacted by COVID. We were so busy and that lasted for like a year. And then by the time COVID got done, I hadn't thought about it for a while. I went through some personal issues some doubt um things that probably every filmmaker goes through <laughs> and um i had kind of put it in the back burner uh and tried to look at some other projects that might gain more interest commercially which was a stupid thing to do because i didn't follow my heart mm -hmm. and i always preach that filmmakers should follow their heart and do what they want to do and mm -hmm. so after some failed projects and some controversies and whatnot um mm -hmm. I took a little break this year and said, Hey, it's time to finish essence. It's time to get it done. Not only for myself, but for everybody that put all the hard time and the hard work in it. I mean, like I said, there were a lot of long nights. We worked around people's work schedules because everybody from the cast was mostly local involved in local drama, things like that. Local film actors um, with the exception of Lynn Lowry, who we flew in for four days and um, we shot her stuff in the middle of a major snowstorm, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just, you know, it, it's like, I don't want to say I lost interest in it, but it was that um, 
know what do you what do you call it. I just kept putting it off. You know, it was like, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then it just hit day me. Like, turns no, I'm into not a week and a week turns into a month and a month turns Exactly, into- exactly. And there were excuses and this and that and then it just snapped on me with you know the last project not working like hey i've got a spectacular film that we shot Mm. i've got incredible performances why am i not editing this and i love the concept um sure it's not a commercial movie but there will be fans out there that like this kind of bizarreness and this weird cosmic horror and you know giant talking bugs and um octopus computers and <laughs> you know all these Cronenbergian things and uh uh Suspiria style lighting um that enhances the hallucinogenic effect as the characters go through mm-hmm. their different emotions so yeah um I'm back at editing it and getting some CG done and stuff and uh it's good we're going to get it we're going to get it done for good this time it's enough Good Enough to waiting on it. <laughs> Good to hear. Yes, it's uh, the road to success is is paved with the bodies of 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 lots of. Uh, I've seen lots of good people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, die on the road here, so to speak. Some some literally, uh, and it's 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 hard. But at the end of the day, like like I said once, you you have to know how to rest and, and not to quit because uh, there's too right. many people that just give up and you'll regret it later on um, more so if you if you quit while you're on top. And so Michael Jordan said in the last dance, man, it's, it's maddening to quit when you're on top. Yeah. Because when you're on top and you feel like you've got the juice, you really have to run with it. Even if you look, even if you crash and burn, it's like James Cameron said, you fail above other people's successes because you're shooting for the moon, not just the back fence. Right. And I'm uh, I'm very glad that uh, you, Jeff, Kak Marinsky is, um, is sticking with it and he's going to give the world his essence, in a sense, with yeah. essence. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, can you tell our audience where they can follow essence and, and, uh, and follow the developments of the film? Pri- primarily it's on Facebook right now. Um, it's the Facebook page is called Essence, a psychedelic gothic thriller. Yeah. Something it's psychedelic gothic movie or something, but it's Essence. It's a it's a page you could like and follow updates on there. Um, I lost control of the page due to hackers for right. about a year and a half or so, um, and a lot of things got deleted. <laughs> it was held ransom for a while, but Facebook finally or Meta whatever finally answered my pleas and gave me my page back. So I'm rebuilding it. Um, there's a pretty strong fan base on there and we're continuing to update things. And especially as we go into post-production, um, that's pro- there's also a group just called essence, um, an upcoming movie. That's a group where people can interact a little more if they want to as a Facebook group. So either of those pages are where we're updating. I'm updating things as we go on. So okay. Jeff, Jack Marinsky, check him out. He's uh, bringing you his uh, chilling, thrilling. Cronenbergian style film Essence. Check it out and uh, check out all Jeff's great work. He's a great bloke. Do not quit, Jeff. You're a great man. We hope you. Thanks. And I can't wait to see Essence myself. But for the meantime, thank you for being my guest on Cinema.